So don't be shy. Ask if you have a question. It's okay. No one will feel you're stupid in academia or even when you're working. And if they feel like you are, that's their problem. Hello, fellow data science enthusiasts. Welcome to the eternal episode of the Data Query Podcast, where my co-host and I will be having a deep and beautiful conversation with one of the young bright minds in academia in the field of biomedical engineering. Though the human being may be the ultimate machine, but we believe we have a lot to learn from how to make machines more smart and more human-like. So we'll be having a deep, beautiful conversation with Dr. Leila Gamba, exploring her path from microbiology to a PhD in computational biology and biomedical engineering. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome, Dr. Leila. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. So, Dr. Leila, I mean, our audience and myself, with William, we're very excited to have you as we noted earlier. And we'd like to know, I mean, how you got into the field of computer programming. And can you also explain the concept of machine learning to a layman or to a 10-year-old kid? <laughs> sure. Um, so the way that my life turned to the path of computer science was luck. My background is in microbiology and my master was in biomedical engineering. Uh, and in none of them, I had any kind of um, data science or computer science knowledge at all. I just knew how to switch on a computer and switch it off. Um, then for my master degree, for my dissertation, I got to know my supervisor and I did a master dissertation and a thesis for my PhD with him in computer science department, but mostly in computational biology. So I was using the knowledge from the uh, biology background as well. And um, if I want to explain machine learning and data science to a 10-year-old kid, um, I would give an example. So um, let's say humans learn from experience, and that experience is the data. So you can predict their behavior based on um, their... um, you You can basically predict their behavior based on the experience. For example, let's say someone touches a heater and the heater is hot, they burn their hand. From the next time when they want to touch that heater, they are more cautious and you're as an observer seeing that they're using that experience. What we do with machine learning is that we give the data um, from the past, the the experience, and give it to the machine and want the machine to kind of predict the behavior of that model, of that data, based on this experience for the future. And that's how machine learning works. I've never understood machine learning um, this in depth before. Anyway, so I would like to know, how does your background in biology and biomedical engineering inform your approach to data science and machine learning? Um, to be honest, I didn't use uh, data science at all for my microbiology and biomedical um, engineering degrees. But... Um, For my PhD, I was using this knowledge when I was looking at the data and um, basically I knew what I was looking at and I knew what I was asking the machine to show me. And that helps because if you're doing a computational biology degree and you don't know the biology uh, part of the work, then it's kind of difficult to know if the result that you're looking at actually makes sense. Um, So for me, I guess the uh, best thing I got from the microbiology and data science 
um, together was that I knew what I was looking at when I was looking at the data. Well, that sounds interesting, Dr. Leila. Um, but I mean, combining biology and let me say machine learning is really, let me say, two broad fields on let me, with so many things evolving. So it's interesting, how do you stay, I mean, with the latest development and advancements in data science and machine learning? Um, so when I'm using machine learning methods for my work, if a method is working for me, I don't actively go look for new alternatives. But if uh, the method is not working or it doesn't give me what I want, uh, I go look up at other people's work and always there is someone who has done something so exciting. Um, so I try to apply that to my work. I'm still not at the stage that I can create new machine learning methods yet, uh, but hopefully I will get there. Uh, but at the moment, what I do is try to understand other people's um, works and apply them to my work. Yeah, for sure. I believe that's like the best way to learn in this field because um, so many people have worked on projects and you can learn from them, you can learn from their mistakes and everything. I mean, there's a lot to learn from others, I would say so. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, speaking about projects and all, um, you've spoken about your PhD. So I would like to know, is there any specific projects that you worked on during your PhD that you used uh, machine learning techniques? The closest I got to machine learning was optimization that I got in my PhD. Um, so I used two different methods of optimization to compare them and see which of them gives me the results that I'm looking for in a shorter time um, for one of my models. Um, but most of the other parts that I used for my PhD were um, data analysis rather than uh, machine learning. Okay. okay, that's interesting, talking about data analysis on, rather than machine learning. So, um, what are some of the tools and technologies that you use during your PhD on, also sometimes on a day-to-day -day basis? Are there any particular preference you have for some? Um, so, in terms of tools, I use Python and R for my thesis. R for data analysis and Python for optimization. And to be fair, I prefer R because, okay. um, well, R has R Studio and makes life so easy. <laughs> and okay. Python doesn't have a thing. And when I learned R, I was so enthusiastic. Uh, everything was new and I loved it. But I learned Python in a very short time only for my project. So I didn't get to explore Python as much as I explored R. Uh, okay, so Python, you learned R first before Python. If yes. I remember on this. Okay, cool. Great. So you, you you use Python and R and you said you preferred R. Yes. So uh, would you say so for someone that is trying to also get into the field, what would you also um, let's say suggest for them to start with? I mean it's not it's it's based on your preference. So I'm sure you can suggest for someone that has no programming background because we didn't have any programming background. So that's what would you right. I, I recommend for someone to start with? Should I start with R or Python? Or I should do both? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not both. One by one yeah. is always the best. Um, yeah. I guess to me, R was much more straightforward. Um, especially for machine learning. R is very um, 
easy to understand. It's not something that, okay, what, what is that that I'm writing as a code? It's very simple and it's easier to understand. Um, so if someone doesn't have uh, the background like myself, uh, I would suggest go with R first. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and thank you for that. Also, you since you're in the field of academia, yeah, and um, you've done your PhD. I'm sure you, you've read a lot of articles. You've seen a lot of publications. So, is there like one publication or contribution that you've seen that you feel in the in the field of data science that you feel will be very um, useful for others to also look at or or impact others' life? Like, so is there any publication or any? Um, contribution that you've seen in the field of data science that you would like to share? Um, the focus of my PhD was computational biology. So the articles that I read mostly were focusing on these two rather than machine learning or data science. I learned machine learning and data science in a class, in a course. And because I didn't have much time to go around and um, especially that it wasn't the main focus of my PhD. I couldn't attend uh, many conferences, especially that it was pandemic as well. Um, so unfortunately, I, I didn't get the chance to read many articles or uh, go to many conferences that were focusing on machine learning. And I guess um, it's kind of a miss on my part because that was a part of my PhD that I actually enjoyed the most. Um, but they wouldn't let me focus on it because it wasn't the focus of my project. Uh, okay, interesting. And just to follow up, just to build on your previous response. Um, so how do you see, let me say, like the field of data science and machine learning evolving in the next five years? So if somebody was to get into this field right now, in relation to mm -hmm. your um, um, background in, bio, in biomedical engineering, what do you feel like an early researcher should like focus on or what what problems do you feel like need more researchers in in relation to the evolution in the next five years of this field? Um, well, machine learning is a very fast growing field. And um, what I see from it is as time passes, the uh, one of the things that basically we are using machine learning for is predictions. And as time passes, these predictions are becoming more and more accurate. And um, I guess maybe in five years, um, the, the result of the machine learning methods are going to be so accurate that kind of that is kind of dangerous because when they are accurate enough, we are going to rely on them um, too much. And then when the machine makes a mistake, we don't see that anymore. Um, but it is a very, very fast growing um, field. It's fascinating. Okay, for sure. Now, I mean, in the job market, even that's uh, one of the main thing with the highest, uh, I would say, um, demand: data science and machine learning. Because yes. everything now is being automated, so artificial intelligence, machine learning is very useful in every industry now. So also, yeah, I'm sure you've worked with a couple of people and you've experienced working with so many people from different backgrounds and all that. Uh, would you say you've faced any challenges working with people from different backgrounds? And 
would you also recommend collaboration with other people when working on data science projects and machine learning projects? Um, um, well, I had to um, collaborate with people who did not have my background because, as I said, my PhD was in computer science department and I was the only biologist there. Um, when I was writing my first article, I realized what it meant to be a computational biologist in computer science department. I had to communicate to pure computer scientists who had no idea about biology and trying to give them a message over or to make them understand my project. At the beginning, I thought the things that I know about biology are common knowledge. But as time passed, I realized there are so many words that we use in biology and also in computer and they make uh, they have completely two different meanings so as time passed i learned how to communicate my way better and break down my words to as simple as possible so other people could understand um, and i think when you're working in data science um, it's kind of inevitable um, not to discuss with someone from another background Especially if you're a, a data scientist in a field like biology or healthcare, if you're coming from a data science background, you are already in an interdisciplinary environment. So it's always best to know um, first your own things and try to understand the other people better and always ask questions if there is something you don't understand or there's something you feel like it doesn't make sense based on the things you know. Uh, kind of yeah it, it makes a lot of sense and because i mean you always have this domain knowledge and also let me say technical proficiency so um when working such teams like what is your take in terms of let me say team formation high do you think it's more important let me say when working in interdisciplinary teams to so have more of statistical proficiency domain knowledge or technical skills so and also for I mean for somebody to get into the field, do you feel like it's more important to have domain knowledge like yourself, you had the biology um background and somebody coming, let me say from a pure technical background also coming into these things, how does he like actually blend? So if you're to form a team, how do you actually try to ration this in terms of let me say professional skills and statistical skills and technical skills? And do you also think domain knowledge or engineering proficiency is more important when taking for your first role? interesting question um it's kind of based on my own experience that um engineering proficiency or domain knowledge are the things that you can learn over time um so especially when you are starting your career i don't think any um line manager would expect you to know all of this when you start your work so i guess to begin uh, with data science, the main thing is to know uh, what you're doing with data science. So your technical skills come first. Um, and data science is a very vast field. So you cannot possibly know everything about it when you're just starting. Maybe in 10 years, 20 years, you're going to know 90% of it. But when you start, you might know only like 20%, but that should be enough um, so I guess the first thing when you're starting your career in data science, the first thing that is important is your technical skills and the other skills come along as time passes and you gain more experience, uh, working in a team. Wow. That was a very 
good advice or, and I'd say a very brilliant suggestion. <laughs> and talking about advice and suggestion, would you say, have you experienced any challenges mentoring others in the field of data science? I mean, related to your, more related to your background, that's computational biology, mm-hmm. engineering. Have you found anything challenging and rewarding in this form of relationship, this mentorship relationship? Yeah, so I was co-supervising a student from data science on my first year of PhD. Um, He was a pure data scientist, no background or understanding of biology. And the most challenging part was to connect with him and make him understand what I wanted from him. So his uh, master project was to help my PhD project to uh, analyze some data. And I needed him to understand what I'm looking for so he could look for them. It was my first year. I still hadn't learned that uh, these communication issues happen. So it took me a couple of weeks to realize um, how I need to explain something to him. It helped me a lot because Later on, when I had um, seminars or conferences that I was presenting, usually my audience were computer scientists or data uh, data scientist people. Um, so I learned how to break down my work to very simple words so everyone could understand. And I think all started when I was uh, mentoring that one student who ta- taught me that if I know something, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone else knows that too. Oh, uh, that's very interesting. And also, I mean, looking out for others that may like to, let me say, come under you as a, as a, as a, ment- as a mentee. So <laughs> what advice will you give or what are you seeking for, let me say, in a mentee? Um, I think the m- most important advice I would give to someone who I'm mentoring is that ask questions because I didn't. Um, okay. When I had my first meetings with my supervisor, there were so many things I was confused about and I was too shy to ask because I thought if I ask, he's going to feel like I'm stupid and I didn't want that. So I had to go research on myself and then later on he realized that there are so many things I don't understand and then he was um, criticizing me on why don't you ask when you have a question. So don't be shy. Ask if you have a question. It's okay. No one will feel you're stupid in academia or even when you're working. And if they feel like you are, that's their problem. You need to know your stuff. (laughs) Okay. That's really interesting because sometimes, I mean, we just, I mean, not ask questions because you feel like you look dumb and you want to avoid having a dumb face. And so yeah. we're going to shift now to more technical <laughs> questions. And those are some of those questions, like, I feel like, let me say for new newbies into the field of um, machine learning and data science, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a little bit tricky. So yeah. what, how can we discuss them is to like the challenges and benefits of using decision trees and random forests in data science and machine learning? Hmm. Um, this, this decision tree is one of the simplest methods of prediction in machine learning. Um, it's very simple to understand and very simple to visualize. But when it comes to high dimensional data sets or the basically huge data sets, they are not the best option. They cause overfitting um, of the training data to the prediction. And that is not what we want 
um, when we are um, going for machine learning and predictions. So it's not good for regression. Um, it also needs more time to train the model. On the other hand, random forest is good for regression um, and classification tasks, but Again, the large number of trees can make it extremely slow. Visualization of it would be a problem. And the training might be fast, but the prediction is what time consuming with uh, random forest. Perfect. Also to, to delve more into the technical aspect of machine learning, um, could you also discuss the challenges and considerations of using explainable AI in data science and machine learning? Um, explainable AI um, tends to make humans understand why it has reached the conclusion it has uh, or why it is showing that prediction that it is showing. It promises more efficiency um, and it is interpretable by experts. So all of these are good, but uh, usually, explainable AI is used by governments or institutes that are handling sensitive data. And these companies um, may be completely relying on the predictions that um, the explainable AI is providing, and that may, might cause a problem. If I'm giving an example, let's say they use uh, XAI for um, criminology. And based on the data given to it, XAI comes to the prediction for a sentence for a specific crime. Um, while this prediction might seem completely logical, it might not be um, in, in the same line as the values of that society. So it causes problems. While it is a good method for understanding um, AI much simpler and more, efficiency, um, more efficiently, um, it can also cause issues if it is handled wrongly. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of, I mean, one of the biggest challenges in the field, relying so much on, let me say, on AI tools and not being able to explain what is going on. Yeah. And so going on to, so how you also explain the, let me say, the concept of generative models and their implication in data science and machine learning, especially in the sensitive field, like, I mean, like human lives, in, I mean, which computational biology is very used in that sense. So how do you explain this concept of generative models and the application in data science and biology in particular? Um, well, I myself haven't used um, the generative models for my project. Uh, however, I love the concept because I love models. And yeah. um, even though I do some other types of modeling, I was always interested to work in this. But I'm aware of some uh, fields that generative models are being used, for example, in uh, bioinformatics or protein design, that they give data to the uh, machine uh, from the proteins that we've got, and then the machine must predict any other possible way that protein can exist, and then check how efficient that protein can be on computer. And if it is efficient in computer, they can move on to biological labs and basically uh, synthesize that protein. Oh, uh, yeah. I, that's something I came across also sometimes listening to um, deep learning podcasts in which one of the, I mean, Victor was also with um, using generative models to 
Petit and protein formation, and I found it very complex because I was lost in that. <laughs> so I don't really understand. But what makes it really challenging? That let me say for a normal human being, but let me say you have computer that can do it more efficiently than I'll say even those that are very high into academia and research. So what is it that makes it complex? Um, what makes the gener- generative me- models complex? Yeah, especially for protein formation, the case you just gave like. Mm, yeah. I, I think um, one thing that, again, in protein uh, design field, that makes it so complex is that it is working based on the data that we give it, and it can give so many new models based on that data. So analyzing each and every one of them is going to be time-consuming, and um, let's say you have 1,000 protein models and you have to go for each of them to see um, if they're actually what you're looking for, if they will work in a biological um, setting or if they actually will give you what you want. So I think one of the challenges for generative models is the output of them can be overwhelming and too many. Right. Also, you spoke about how you love models, and so I'm sure you are interested. Me, I'm personally, I'm very interested in the kind of models you love, and I'm sure our listeners too are also interested in the models that you love and the ones that you prefer working with. Um, well, I generally like modeling. Um, the method I used for my PhD was Petrinus, which is super simple. Um, the reason I love it is because when you model something in computer, you can see how it would behave um, over time much faster in computer. And my idea um, was that when you have this modeling computer, you can predict something that can happen over a year in two hours in your computer and see if it's actually worth doing in the lab. Um, coming from biological background, we had to wait a long time to see the results and there were times that we were disappointed because we didn't get the result we wanted and i always thought if we have these models in the computer then we can save time and money so why not how about someone starting out in the field of data science and machine learning especially someone with a background in biomedical data mm-hmm. or any anyone from a, a different background, what advice would you give the person? Someone starting out in the field of data science, is there any advice or something that you've learned from your experiences? Because obviously, you know a lot. You, you've been in academia for so many years. You've worked with several companies. You've got experience. So you've learned from the field. So yeah. would you like to share to our listeners um, what they should look out for when they're starting out in the field of data science? Sure. Um, First, if you've never um, been coding or have been involved in any kind of data science, it can look very scary. Like the first time I saw coding, I was terrified. I thought this is too much. I can never do something like that, especially that I'm coming from biology background. I have no idea about coding. And when I started it, it actually turned out to be one of the greatest things I've ever learned. So don't be scared. 
The other thing is when you are moving from data science to towards more biomedical science, uh, biomedical data science, um, you're going to hear a lot of Latin words from biology that sound very terrifying. You might not understand what they mean um, or you might not know what everyone else is talking about. That's okay. Uh, it happens. Um, give yourself the permission not to know, but don't give yourself the permission not to understand. They're two different things. So if you don't know something, that's okay, but look for it. Um, so don't be scared of um, the codes or the Latin words that you're hearing. Um, once you understand them, just try to have fun and enjoy coding and machine learning and visualizing all, all your data and play around with your codes. I think that's a lot of fun by itself. So Dr. Leila, are there any resources um, or let me say websites, YouTube channels or books that you may suggest for those that get into the field of data science to improve their learning and also to also get some hands-on practice? There are so many resources um, for data science. And I guess if you are just uh, starting, um, if you're comfortable with like reading stuff, go for um, their books for data science uh, and using R. Um, there are this, um, I forgot the name of the book, but it's usually the cover is white and red and it talks about how to use R and R Studio. Um, that's one way around it. And the other thing that you can use for improving your um, knowledge in data science is DataCamp, um, which helps a lot. Okay, okay. And not anything related to, let me say, data science and machine learning, but which book have you read that highly has had an impact on your life? and that you may suggest to our readers to read because I'm always on the lookout for books that can help me improve as a person as a whole. Do you have any suggestion that comes to mind? Um, I think the book Data Science from Scratch is a good one. It's simple um, and as well, it's obvious, it tells everything from the very beginning of how data science starts and how you can uh, improve in it and how you can learn it okay well thanks a lot dr leila and thanks for the piece of advice is there anything we haven't touched that you would like to let me say sh shine light on or talk about we've had a great conversation and we're very grateful for having you on the show so if there's anything you'd like to touch on please just go ahead um i think the only thing i'd like to uh, say is that don't give up um, and don't compare yourself with other people because again I did that I came from biology background I started coding and everything was so scary and I was seeing my students were coding much better than myself and I was like what kind of a, a teacher am I how is it even possible um, and by experience I learned people learn on different pace and people are different while I wasn't the best in coding, I had a knowledge that my students or the people around me didn't have. So don't compare yourself. Don't think you're not good enough. Um, 
just try to um, enjoy the process. Oh, thank you, Dr. Leila. William, I don't know if you have anything to conclude on. I think we're thank all good. Thank you very go. much. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to on the show. But to add on what you said, that, then again, that's when we talk about the imposter syndrome, where you feel like you, you don't know enough. And mm-hmm. I'm very glad you mentioned that because you can't know it all. You always feel that way. What you can do best is work on the areas that you feel like you're deficient in. And we are very glad that you've shared so many insights with us. And I'm sure our listeners are very glad as well. It's been exciting having you on the show. We are very much grateful. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank thank you. you.